Now that, folks, was a complete team victory. That's what it looks like. So, oh, Iowa 24 and Purdue 3 on the road. Big division win for the Hawkeyes. And we will discuss it and look forward to another big matchup because things are starting to fall in a certain direction that could provide some interesting scenarios come late November with the Hawkeyes and the Badgers getting together this Saturday. Welcome into our Hawkeyes live show. Welcome um, to everyone out there. And uh, keep in mind that we're brought to you by Gene Arthur Associates. So please, you can check out their instant quotes on all things insurance, uh, home life, RV, uh, any motor vehicle. Grab the link in the description section of any of the videos. And of course, we only have a live show here talking Iowa football each and every Tuesday, courtesy our guy, Corey Bratta from the Hawkeye of the Storm. Hey, Corey. Hey, Mark. How's it uh, How's it uh, going now that we're two-thirds through college football? Are you mourning that now? Or are you, uh, I mean, it's a busy time of year from a business standpoint for you, but uh, how, what are your thoughts here in early November? Yeah, from a business standpoint, it just seems like, you know, somebody uh, suggested the tagline to the Voice of College Football the other day for me as football never stops. So we, we may go with that. That's what comes to mind when you you made that statement. So, um, yeah, sure. it's exciting. I, I'm excited to see the conclusion of the Big Ten Western Division race because now with Illinois upset at home against Michigan State, that opens the field up. If, in fact, Purdue can pull off an upset over Illinois this weekend, and then, wow, got uh, five teams in play as it stands right now. And, and and if I'm reading this correctly, the Iowa-Wisconsin winner, if they win out, would win the Big Ten Western Division. Uh, if, 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 Purdue wins. if Purdue wins. It's a little bit more complicated than that, though. So Illinois has to lose twice. Hmm. <clears throat> Yeah, maybe I'm assuming a loss at Michigan, which I should not do that. Okay, yep, you're right. So, you're right, yeah. Isn't that incredible? I mean, the fact that Iowa has an opportunity, they still could win the West. I mean, this team was 3-4 and four a couple weeks ago, and by no means am I declaring that they're going to be Big Ten champions by, you know, second week in December, but it, it is, it's incredible. Um uh, you got to get in. Listen, this is one narrative that that I took away from our post game show on Saturday, and it was kind of a brief show because I was in Indiana, and we'll have a, a kind of a part two of that show on Wednesday with Don Patterson. But one thing I took from that is there are some fans out there, and I get it because they're upset. They feel like they've been um, not listened to, and and they haven't been for the most part as it relates to the Brian Ferentz situation. But there are some fans out there who feel like they can't give Brian Ferentz credit for anything. They, they just want him gone. They're just done with him. They want him gone. You're not giving him credit for anything. That's fine. I get that line of thinking. But the fact of the matter is, Mark, he deserved credit, or at least some credit, for what happened on Saturday. Because the offense, I mean, I saw you tweeting out about it during the game, Mark. The offense was functional. It wasn't great. It, it wasn't. It was not great. But Caleb Johnson ran for 200 yards. I mean, that that's really good. Uh, now, I don't think Purdue's defense is nearly as good as Minnesota's. I don't think it's nearly as good as Wisconsin's. The numbers indicate that. It's certainly not as good as some of the teams Iowa played earlier this year. Um, 
But the point is, Iowa did what they needed to do. The defense was absolutely phenomenal again. I made the comment on Saturday, I think this might be, this has a chance at being the best unit Phil Parker has ever put out in the field as it relates to the entire defense, not just secondary, the entire defense. Because where's the hole right now, Mark? They're down Justin Jacobs, who's a future NFL or a linebacker. They haven't missed a beat. Um, they are just rock solid everywhere. And Charlie Jones got his on Saturday. I was happy for Charlie. I have nothing, you know, no will, will against Charlie. I stuck around uh, Ross Aide for a few seconds after the game to see what players went up to Charlie Jones. And he had a lot of Iowa players go up and give him a, a warm embrace. And that was good to see. Um, I'm not going to comment on the, the Jack Campbell. I don't know if you saw this, but Jack Campbell uh, grabbing Cooper DeGene uh, during the game, basically telling him not to help Charlie Jones to his feet. I, I don't love that. I mean, I'm not trying to be critical of Jack Campbell, but it is what it is. I didn't love that. My point is, I, I think for the most part, um, he was embraced warmly by his former teammates. I know he's got a lot of, you know, friends on this this Iowa team still. So he got his, and he got over 100 yards again. Another Purdue receiver. I mean, Brom has had one Purdue receiver every single year exceed 100 yards but boy it was a totally different story than we've seen in any game since Brom even the 2019 game that Iowa won was close this game was never close Mark it was never really in doubt um the the play calling was odd I've I've praised Jeff Brom on so many different occasions for his ability to call the right plays at the right times why on God's green earth do you run four pass plays from the goal line Wind or, I mean, regardless of, of weather, let's just throw the weather out for a second. Four pass plays. Um, when they had ran the ball effectively with Maccabee to get inside the five, and they run four pass plays uh, and, and, and don't get points. I, I just, that didn't make any sense at all. There were, I'll tell you this, I've been a part of two games now this year because I've only been to two games with, you know, the post game show. It's hard to make it to a lot of these games. Been to two games now this year, and in both games, the home crowd was booing its own offense. I mean, I you know, I was at the Nevada game, and they were booing Spencer at the time in the Iowa offense. And then, I mean, the Purdue crowd was booing its team on Saturday at times. So, very strange. But you've got to give Phil Parker tons of credit. You give Brian cre- tons of credit for finding a way to, you know, whether, whether it's Brian or not, he is the OC, right? I mean, we're going to place blame on him when things are terrible, then give them some credit when things are okay. And uh, they ran the ball effectively. The offensive line seems to be developing some rhythm, albeit against a bad team in Northwestern and a an average at best defense in Purdue. And yes, I had some people say, well, Corey, you said they were a really good defense. I never said that, Mark. I said it was an improved defense from what we saw against Northwestern. And guess what? Saturday against Wisconsin, that's an improved defense. And if you look at total defense, the week after they get Minnesota, that will be another improved defense. By the numbers, Minnesota's a better defense than Wisconsin right now. So the, the competition continues to ramp up over these next two weeks and how fitting it, fitting it is that this division is hanging in the balance with all of these teams still in the running. So this is what's possible when a great defense is complemented by a functional, strong offensive performance. Now, this offensive performance was not prolific, but I think it also has to be credited that it did not have to be. In this type of game, with this kind of defensive performance, which is the standard, doesn't have to be prolific. It needs to be efficient, 
and on occasion explosive on occasion but not even consistently explosive just capable efficient you know a 13 for 23 day 192 yards two touchdowns no interceptions that is a very strong day i know that the completion percentage is not uh, extremely high but of course the wind and the rain had something to do with that as well but that's 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 a good passing day it's it's a lot of yardage out of that many completions and of course no turnovers the two touchdown passes and of course what Caleb Johnson was able to do with with the combination it being him from what I saw uh, but also of course the offensive line gave him enough um, of a crease most of the time to make something out of nothing and we talked about this a number of times throughout the offseason that uh, and then I think more so once we got into the season and saw Caleb Johnson play, that he was the guy that earned and would have the highest ceiling at that running back position. Absolutely. And we said that back in back a year ago when he was getting ready to sign. We made the comment that, hey, they got two really good backs coming in there. And I actually like Jazz Patterson maybe a little bit more than Caleb Johnson when Jazz committed. Um, and I'm still high on Jazz Patterson. I think he's probably – I mean, I don't know what the future with the two Williams backs is going to be here, um, but I – you know, Jazz Patterson got his first carries of his career on Saturday as well. So and let's not forget he's a true freshman. So both of these guys, they are the type of running back that you want. Um, I had a couple of friendly debates with people on social media because people were asking, well, you know, could he be the next Sean Green? He's a totally different player than Sean Green was. And yes, it's far too early to be anointing him as the next great thing. But I do think he's got the potential to be as good of a back as Sean Green. Um, I use the term plotter. People didn't like that. I'm not the only. You've heard that term, right, Mark? You've heard the term plotter as it relates sure. to backs in the NFL that at times get to a point in their careers where if they don't have a ton of help from their offensive lines, they're not they're not getting yards after contact and and green as great as he was at Iowa within a couple of years in the league, you know, and, and I know the jets offensive line wasn't great. And the Titans line wasn't great. He was kind of a plotter towards the end of his career. The way that, that Caleb Johnson runs, he runs, we've made the comparison to Eric Dickerson. He's got that long stride, very smooth, but he's got the jump cut. Um, he's just a different kind of back. I mean, that's just kind of what we've been saying for a year now. He, he's just a different back than Iowa has had. And I, I don't know anybody to compare him to. And that's a good thing um, because he's unique. And boy, I'd, I'd love to think in a couple of years what the one-two punch with him and Jazz Patterson could be if they can retain both of those guys in this era of the transfer portal. Um, but you're right. The, the offensive line was better. They opened up holes. Um, and again, his ability not only to get yards after contact, but he show, he's starting to show that quick twitch that I thought he had but that early on in the year, he kind of just he kind of just ran in a straight line, right? And if the holes weren't there, the holes weren't there, and he could lower his shoulder, but he didn't have much of that. He wasn't demonstrating that quick twitch, and he started to do that on Saturday. And, you know, wins Big Ten Freshman of the Week, wins Big Ten uh, Offensive Player of the Week. Tremendous honors for a young man who became the workhorse on Saturday, and I don't think he's looking back. I don't believe. I know Kirk said in his press conference today that LaShawn Williams and Gavin Williams were both banged up. So maybe that's the case. They both played on Saturday for the record, but they were both banged up. I, I think it's it's clear now, based on what we saw on Saturday, what we've been seeing, and go back to the Nevada game, Caleb Johnson is the man moving forward. And 
it seems like Connor Colby's playing better at left guard. Logan <laughs> Jones still struggling at times at center, but playing better. Richmond's playing well. It seems like that left side of the line is playing as well as it has all year. Um, yeah, I mean, as Kirk said today, this th- that was the most complete performance the entire year, and that includes the Northwestern game because the competition was so much tougher. And, uh, you know, the question now becomes, how does Iowa handle this unique front that Wisconsin throws at you? Because they've traditionally struggled against that three that against that three four defense so that's going if, if they go out there mark and dominate wisconsin i i won't i don't know what to say i, I don't know what to say at that point mark <laughs> i mean what do you say at that point well i think we've just been open and honest and, and told the truth about what the production has been which has been abysmal but now you know you certainly said it well that you know this this is the type of offensive production that's required for this defense to be a complement so we talked a number of times during the offseason about what the identity of this team is and what it could be with complementary football what true complementary football looks like this is it the identity of this team will still be elite defense this is the only defense in the country that is giving up less than four yards per play uh elite special teams play and an offense that is a threat that maintains possession of the ball doesn't make mistakes but also produces first downs and points is it the best defense in the country mark you you tell me yes or no no it's close Georgia. Okay. And you and I both know, I'm not arguing your point because you, you, you know far about more about Georgia than I do. And that's why I was asking you the question, but you and I both know that Georgia has not dealt with an, an, you know, an opposite unit like Iowa, the Iowa's defense has had to deal with. Sure. That's what makes that number so impressive. The fact that they're holding teams down and, and, and Kirk even brought it up today. He, he kind of today, he, I think he felt a little bit more, comfortable addressing the elephant in the room he was asked about that yards per game per, per play stat and he basically acknowledged yeah we the offense hasn't really given the defense any help all year and we finally got some help this week and last week but what they're doing is is unprecedented he said i really don't have any anything to complain about on defense what what, what is there to complain about like we said this after the ohio state game mark they put up 54 and it's like we walked away saying that defense was really really good <laughs> Like C.J. Stroud, the throws he made had to be perfect. And, you know, they couldn't run against Iowa. And on Saturday, Purdue couldn't run. Well, they didn't run. I think they could. I think that's one issue. If you're Brom, you look back, I think they're going to regret not running the football more. But even with the wind, they could not run that offense. They could, you know, they got the ball to Charlie Jones. They hit one ball over the top to Charlie. But, again, that was on a perfect, perfectly thrown. It was a beautiful throw from O'Connell out of his own end zone down the field that was a gorgeous throw but those were few and far between and unless you can execute to the level that cj stroud executed against iowa's defense three weeks ago there there aren't going to be teams that can score points and and so what you just said is what we've been saying for how long now mark we've said this this offense doesn't have to be great it just has to be decent i don't even think it needs to be average it just needs to be slightly below average to have a chance to, to win the west every single year and last year they were bad and still won the West. <laughs> so, and now I think the defense is better. 
And heck, Mark, the offense is worse, and they may still win the West. I mean, the, the, let's make this clear. The, the, the idea that Illinois could lose two more and Iowa wins out, that's not that outlandish. Iowa gets Wisconsin at home. You get Minnesota on the road, which will be difficult. You get Nebraska at home. Illinois gets, as you said, Michigan, who you assume they're going to lose to, and they get Purdue. That's the game this weekend. If you're an Iowa fan, you still have hope that this team can win the division. You're watching Illinois and Purdue, and I think they play North, Northwestern, right, in their rivalry game last week. Yeah. The season, you never know in a rivalry like that what Pat Fitzgerald's going to pull out of his hat. Um, so it, it is fascinating. I'm still not predicting that. For the record, I still believe – I don't know that I believe that Purdue, I had, you know, I pegged Purdue as my favorite. Who would have thought, Mark, that heading into the year, who would have thought that at this point in the season, we'd have four teams tied at three and three, and they'd be Wisconsin, Purdue, Iowa, Minnesota. You may say, well, we, we all could have predicted that. Well, no one would have predicted Illinois being above all those teams. I mean, those were the four teams we had thought, okay, it's, it's, it's especially with the schedule advantages that Purdue came into the season with. We thought that's, at least I thought, those four teams are dead even i don't know who to predict and the the one thing we missed was it was illinois um so it is fascinating it's kind of the, the conference tends to these these conference this conference race and the division race tends to shake itself out and it's certainly doing that so far it just struck me just as you were going through the standings there that i have hope that my preseason prediction is now in play with wisconsin winning the division i had given up hope a long long time ago yeah, I mean, I, I, not that I'm rooting for them. That was just my preseason pick. Well, I'm, I pretty much get. I, I said a few weeks ago. I'll admit it. I said I was not winning the West, and I stand by that. I don't think they're winning the West, but it is possible, very possible. And if you had to guess from the, would you? I mean, obviously, if you're a betting man, you probably take Illinois, just given the fact that they're up a game in the standings. But but do you, Mark? Do do you? It, it, given the schedules, do you take Illinois at this point? If Purdue was playing as well as Iowa or Wisconsin is, or even Minnesota right now, but Purdue is reeling. Uh, I hate to pin it on one guy or on one situation, but they haven't been the same since Aiden O'Connell got hurt. Aiden O'Connell hurt his ribs in the game prior to FAU. I forget which game. that I think it was the Syracuse game, which he just lit up the Syracuse defense. Right. He had an Aiden O'Connell kind of day almost 500 yards passing. He missed, they held him out of the FAU game. Then he came back and they changed their play calling to accommodate his limitations. And he hasn't been the same. That said, I watched probably two thirds of this game and even a healthy Aiden O'Connell, most of the time, I'm sure he would have been slightly more effective, but most of it was not him. Most of it was him backpedaling, throwing with a, you know, an Iowa shoulder pad in his ribs. He was just under siege most of the game. The Iowa defensive front, I think, won this game, large part. Let me let me push back on you for a second. Not, not yeah. saying you're not right. Maybe O'Connell is suffering, but he was pretty darn good against Nebraska. He was 35 of 54 for 391 and four touchdowns that day. Yeah, I didn't see a whole lot of that game. I don't know how much of that was downfield throwing. I know that I watched the Minnesota game after he came back from the injury, and they very much limited his right. throws, the the, oh, yeah. the types of throws. 
you're right. I just remember watching that Nebraska game and thinking, man, this dude is incredible because he was making yeah, he is some some plays out of the pocket mm-hmm. that, that impressed me. And, and Nebraska's defense, I mean, that's I think that's the big variable, right? Even maybe a slightly unhealthy Aiden O'Connell can still perform at a high level against Nebraska's defense. But you're right. The margin for error against Iowa's defense and given the weather, when I was at that game, I've never dealt with, I've never experienced wind gusts like that at a football game. And I don't know what it was like on the field. But we had we had debris, uh, trash, debris, cardboard boxes flying <laughs> through the stands. Uh, at one point, I, I shielded a friend of mine who was there with us because I thought he was going to get hit in the head. It was weird. I mean, it was a weird, weird day. And I know you you were obviously invested in that Northwestern Ohio State game, which I did not watch. Uh, I ended up going to Chicago the next day, but I'm assuming the Windy City was even windier on Saturday. And that probably contributed to Ohio State struggles. We don't have to get into that real in, real in depth, but it was very. I'm sure it was very comparable to what we saw in West Lafayette. Yeah, they um, they inexplicably tried to run their offense under those conditions for a while. Then they adapted, and it was a little bit different. But they are a very pass heavy team, and that hurts them under those kind of conditions, which could hurt them down the stretch. Yeah, primarily in one particular game, because I don't think they're going to be threatened in the other two. Uh, the one concern for Iowa fans in a rooting sense is that this Purdue team is not playing very well, and I don't see them going to Champaign and winning. However, these teams seem to turn on a dime, meaning a few weeks ago, Purdue was the team that was playing well, and they went to Camp Randall, and all of a sudden Wisconsin, the team that was playing poorly, turned their season around blasted Purdue and Wisconsin's been playing really well ever since. So, well, we, we, we could also say the same thing. We could flash back three weeks prior and, and heading into that Purdue Minnesota game, people were saying, you know, it looked like Minnesota was by far the better team. Purdue's coming off a, a close win to FAU. And you mentioned the, the injury to O'Connell and what does Purdue do? They go up and I know they didn't run the offense the way they normally do, but the defense shut Minnesota down and, they win 20 to 10. So yeah, it's been a really weird year of ebbs and flows. My question is, Mark, do you still at this point, do you trust Illinois yet? Like no. I know they're nine games in. I just, I still don't no. trust them completely. No. And, and that's not a knock on them. They're just not at the level. There's only a few teams in the country at the level that you can pretty much trust that they're just going to take care of business, regardless of whether they've got their a game no, they showed us on Saturday at home, and that's not a game that I was surprised by in any such way because Illinois has a bottom three to four roster in the conference. They've done a remarkable job, Brett Bielema and his staff, in preparing this team and fashioning their approach in such a way to take advantage of what they do well and to hide and mask what they don't do well. Uh, but they played probably a more talented roster even with eight players suspended on Saturday and they, and they lost the game and and they were really outplayed significantly. They, it was a 23 to seven game with two and a half minutes left and they put on a furious comeback and almost pulled it out at the end. They had it down in the red zone down a score at the end, but uh, Illinois, they're coming back to the mean. They're coming back to, you know, being substantially a better team than they've been the last few years, but not some team that's going to race out and go 10 and two. And they're, that's just not them. They're not that good. Now, before we transition to maybe some talk about Wisconsin, um, 
And again, we're going to have Don Patterson on tomorrow night on this channel and over at our uh, sister channel from the Hawkeye of the Storm. But can we talk about Houston SMU? <laughs> have you ever seen a guy? I didn't watch it, but I was following it on my phone, Mark. Remember your audience. This may be a shock to their system. Let me just, for anybody who missed the Houston, I'm just going to so don't tune off. Let me just read you. These are the drive results for the game. All right, Mark, you already know this information. SMU starts out with the ball. Here, here are the drive results, alternating back and forth between the two teams. Touchdown, 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 interception, touchdown, interception, touchdown, 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 missed field goal, touchdown, touchdown. Oh, I'm sorry, end of second quarter. <laughs> touchdown, <laughs> touchdown, uh, turnover on downs, punt. Touchdown, 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 interception, end of game. <laughs> and one punt, one punt, Mark. How did, like, you know how Iowa fans felt? I mean, you don't know exactly, but you have an idea of how Iowa fans felt after the South Dakota State game where your offense literally just can't do a darn thing. They don't do anything really to help. They don't do anything to help the result and you yet you still find a way to win seven to three because of your defense that has to be how smu's defense felt they give up 63 points and won by 14 <laughs> as an ohio state fan the last time i remember really feeling as though you know i'm watching an offense that is so anemic this was in the 87 88 season and they're scoring like 20 or 25 points a game and i just thought this is this is just unbearable horrible to watch but yeah 77 63 uh, it's similar to when I heard that Wake Forest turned the ball over six times in one quarter and similar to me hearing when I heard that um, Appalachian State scored six touchdowns and North Carolina scored four touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Ten touchdowns were scored in one quarter. I think, how is that possible? 77-63. How is that almost mathematically possible to squeeze that much scoring into one football game? Well, I, I don't know the numbers in front of me, but we're talking about Purdue. Let's go back to the Music City Bowl last year because I watched that game, and Mark, you know that was just bomb, 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 right? I mean, just there, you know, whether you want to talk about explosive offenses or, or defenses that are completely inept, there are extremes on both sides, and hopefully I was uh, figuring out a way to uh, perhaps become a bit more balanced. Like to remind everyone that Hawkeyes Live here each and every Tuesday at 5:30 Eastern, 4:30 Central, brought to you by our fine friends at Gene Arthur Associates. Grab the link in the description section of any of the Iowa videos, and you will find uh, the link to your instant quote. Also, for this month, as we get close to the finale against Nebraska, which could have a ton on the line, you can still win Iowa Nebraska tickets there in um, Kinnick Stadium. Courtesy Gene Arthur Associates. What you need to do is go to Facebook and Instagram. Look up um, Gene Arthur Associates. I'll leave the link in the live chat as I do each and every week. Go to Facebook and Instagram. Simply like, follow, and share, and you're automatically entered to see the Hawkeyes in Nebraska and possibly Iowa playing for a Big Ten Western Division championship. But first, they must get through the Wisconsin Badgers, and we appreciate Nick Snow stopping by from Bucky's fifth quarter on SB Nation. Nick, how you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys. Well, it's a similar narrative for you Badgers as for the Iowa Hawkeyes in regards to where did this come from? People counted you out about three to four weeks ago. The team's playing much better. 
All you have to do is look at a box score, and when you see Graham Mertz, 5 for 18, albeit against windy conditions, not picking up Graham Mertz, (laughs) but uh, 200-yard rushers, and then, of course, a defense that bottled up one of the best offenses in the Big Ten, that's that's Wisconsin football. Wisconsin football's back. Yeah, hey, I was not surprised that they ran the ball as much as they did against Maryland, a a team that, you know, really hasn't played its best ball recently, I, I wouldn't say at least. Um, and it seemed like the weather conditions really played out perfectly for Wisconsin to dominate that game. Um, they saw kind of a breakout game from second tailback, I guess you could call him Isaac Arendo, who has kind of had his moments, uh, throughout the years, but he's also been banged up a lot. And I think his emergence really helped Wisconsin, um, kind of really just dominate the, dominate that part of the game. And, Braylon Allen, you know, he's been a little beat up this year. Uh, and I think Hawkeye fans will see that this weekend. He's They're exchanging running backs a lot more. And Braylon Allen last year, he was averaging like 25 carries a game. Um, this year, he's more like 20 or 18. So, so things have changed a little bit. And uh, I think there's a more balanced approach. What is what, – where would you uh, – Nick, where would you place Braylon Allen's health right now? Is he 75%? Is he 90%? I, I believe it's a shoulder injury. So I, I guess I haven't heard exactly where, where he's at, but I know he wasn't on the injury report this week. So I think you can expect that he'll be a full go for Saturday. Um, but again, it, it wouldn't shock me to see him have a few less carries because of that, because of it. And again, it's shoulder or elbow. I, I saw him kind of take a couple of hard dives into the turf on Saturday. And he, it was almost like he had hit a nerve or something. He was holding his elbow like that. So he's definitely, I, I mean, you could definitely tell that something's up are off but for the most part i mean his legs and stuff they appear to be fine and maybe a little bit healthier than they were this time last year nick give us an idea of uh the dynamic shift the the change in dynamic if you will since paul christ uh was let go um obviously that was just a few weeks ago and with jim leonard switching to a head coaching role um obviously changes the dynamic not only on defense but also on offense um, you know, there were rumors, at least that I heard, I don't know how, what sub, there was any substantiation to these rumors that, uh, Paul Christ had this, uh, I wouldn't say marriage to Graham Mertz, but that's the only word I can think of where he was kind of set on Graham Mertz and fans were kind of like Iowa fans for a while, wanting a change at quarterback, but we haven't seen a change at quarterback. Why is that? And, and how is the dynamic shift? How, how has the dynamic shift since Leonard took over? So I'll address the la- the point there about the uh, marriage between Paul Christ and Graham Mertz. Um, I I actually had heard it another way. I heard that it was actually John Budmeyer who who was the one who was really pushing. And you guys know John Budmeyer's name because he's now on staff at Iowa. But I had heard that he was the one who was really high on Graham Mertz early, and that Chris was actually planning to play Jack Cohn in 2020. But Jack Cohn in training camp uh, in 2020 went out with an ankle injury. Graham Mertz has that game against Illinois and goes off and you can't just change him out as soon as Jack Cohn's, you know, it was, it was kind of like a, if you go backwards, Graham Mertz chances of leaving are a lot higher. And I think that that scared probably the, the people in the, on the coaching staff. So you had to stick with what you had and, and, you know, Mertz has been pretty good this year. Um, and I'm not going to go too far down this road yet, but he's, he's, He's improved, I would say. So Iowa fans should probably expect to see maybe a little bit more consistency from from him. Um, 
but to your point about uh, the change this year, I mean, it's been, it's been fascinating to watch play out. Um, you know, this was a season with pretty high expectations that there would be a rebound. And I heard Mark say earlier that, that his pick for the West was actually Wisconsin. And I, I also had Wisconsin in my, my uh, you know, as my winner, I also had Illinois as my loser, the last place in the division. And look at how that's turned out. So, you know, that Washington state game, uh, the second weekend of the season was, was, was interesting. It, it was one of those games where Wisconsin really beat itself, something they haven't traditionally done. And it was kind of a red flag for a lot of us fans, like, okay, what's going on in Madison? Why hasn't this team played consistently? It's now been, you could say 2021, they were inconsistent. 2020, they looked awful a lot of the time. What's going on? This, that was really like the and we kind of we kind of excused them for 2020. We excused them in 2021 again because they were right on the doorstep of the Big Ten West, but they couldn't finish it out against Minnesota, and it, it, they looked horrible in that game here in Minneapolis, which is where I'm actually located. Um, but yeah, it, it was. We I think that Washington State game was the first red flag for for Badger fans, and then you followed it up with a pretty bad performance, a uh, team that looked very underprepared against Ohio State, which was uh, jarring because. This was a team that, you know, a couple of years ago was right there with Ohio State to win the Big Ten. Uh, that was 2019. They were up two scores at half. So there was a lot of questions circling at, at that time. And then, then you turn around and you play Illinois, a team that's projected by many to finish last in the Big Ten West, and they come out and lay an egg. And for all intents, I mean, they were tied at half, but the second half, there's this, I don't know if you guys have heard this, but Paul Christ allegedly drew the line in the sand uh, and the effing sand is what I think he said. Um, but they came out and they fumbled the return, uh, first, first play of the half or second half. And it was history from there. Illinois now looks like a really good team, but at that time, I think Chris McIntosh before he made his decision was thinking, uh, this is not, this is not uh, a good team. And I think they are still a good team. I just think that they're really hot and cold. So just give us an idea, Nick, of, of the decision-making behind the Chris move, because I just don't buy the fact that, and I'm not saying that you're implying it, I don't buy the fact that the move was made based solely on um, Ohio State getting blown out to an Ohio State team that blows a lot of teams out, and right. one bad loss, or even if it was perceived to be a really bad loss at the time to Illinois. There's just, to me, Paul Christ had built up so much immunity that that move didn't make any sense to, I don't like many people, it certainly didn't make sense to me. Kirk Ferentz, I know, really respects Paul Christ. I think he's gunning for Wisconsin this year, partially because he didn't like that they let his friend Paul Christ go. And let's not forget, Bud, Bud Meyer is a part of the Iowa staff. So if there's any any extra motivation from Iowa, it might, because of, might be because of uh, Wisconsin letting Christ go. Just kind of give us an idea of what your feel for the move is at this point, now that we've had a, a few weeks to digest it. So I, I've been thinking about this a lot. In 2017, Wisconsin was, had that 12-0 and 0 year where they, were, they went to the Big Ten title game and they were knocking on the, the – they were going to be a college football playoff team if they would have won that game. And they were, one, they were, on, they were down one score with, with one possession left. And they, Alex Horney broke through an interception and it was, you know, over. Um, and then 2018 rolls around and there's really high expectations because this team has re re was returning – a really good offensive line. They were returning Jonathan Taylor. 
Um, they had Jake Ferguson. Uh, you know, you were expecting a good year out of uh, Alex Hornerbrook again because he played so well in 2017. And they came out and they lost to BYU in a game they never should have lost. And that was, for me, that was the point where it's like, okay, why are we losing a game against BYU at home in September? Um, there was no reason to lose that game. And then it's kind of been that way for a couple of years that that's the first loss that really kind of was like, that's, that's, that's a bad loss. And then 2019, when you have Ohio, you're, you're playing Illinois in Illinois in Champaign, you lose after leading most of the game uh, on a couple of really bad plays, uh, a fumble. I can't remember if it was a fumble or an interception, but Wisconsin had the ball at the end of the game and was ready to, to put the game away. And for whatever reason, they turned the ball over. Illinois goes down and kicks the last second field goal and wins the game. That was a really and, bad and Not to interrupt, well. Nick, when, when did the great – point spread upsets in recent college football history it was like 32 yeah it was unbelievable it's bad it it was one of those red flags for me again where it's like okay this they this team again had no business losing this game and there's kind of been one of those a year under paul chris and then it was then you know in 2020 you could probably say that wisconsin was really down in the covid year or whatever but they still didn't they play well and down like every quarterback on their roster at one point in that year yeah in in 2020 yeah, we're, we're, yeah. Much, Jack Cohn was – yeah, Graham Mertz had COVID at one point. They were down to Chase Wolf. I think that Chase Wolf, he played the majority of that Minnesota game that they won at home with no fans. But I think that Badger fans still take a lot of pride in ripping the axe away from Minnesota after they had taken it from us. Um, and So, yeah, I, I think that there's just been one game a year under Paul Chris that was, that was just not good enough. And Wisconsin was built much like Iowa, not beating yourself. And in these games that they've lost, they've beaten themselves, especially uh, against Washington State. They had like 10 penalties for 100-plus yards. Completely unacceptable for a Wisconsin team that historically has been really, really disciplined. And it's been a problem with the offensive line. That One of the reasons why the offense has struggled is when the offensive line is getting drive-killing penalties like holding and and uh, false starts, I'm sure that Iowa fans can relate in some regard because I know that their offense has stalled at times this year. Um, but, yeah, I, I just – I feel like there were games that Wisconsin was losing that they shouldn't have lost under Paul Christ. The other point I'll make is that recruiting right now, the team has the best roster it's had ever. There's the most four- and five-star recruits on this team right now. But – Paul Chris comes out this year and you're not beating a team like Washington state with a second year head coach who quite frankly, doesn't have a lot of talent on his team. You can't beat that team at home. And then on top of it, you throw in the last couple of recruiting cycles where they've had like 12 or 13 guys come in and the average, and they've been ranked in like the thirties and the forties, which is a regression from where they were in 2019 and 2020, which was their best recruiting classes ever. So I think that those, just all of that stuff has, kind of been like okay something's got to change I think that's what went through Chris McIntosh's head and the last point I'll make on that is that we're entering a new era of college football I think we've all kind of discussed that at length the NIL the transfer portal all that stuff and and I think that Wisconsin took a good hard look and Chris McIntosh took a good hard look at the program and said okay how where is this program headed well they're headed they're headed in the wrong direction and it's got to be changed quick. Otherwise, they'll get left behind moving into 2024 and 2025 when you have teams like USC and UCLA joining. And who else? Who, who knows what other teams might be joining? Nick, final question for me, and then I'll just let Mark uh, take this away. 
can you give us an idea for for the average fan who you know doesn't watch this three four defense every week and we're usually we're used to seeing uh, at Iowa four down linemen and uh, you know your your three linebacker defense and Wisconsin throws something totally uh, for at least for Iowa fans uh, somewhat foreign. Uh, now they see it against Iowa State, but can you give us an idea of why that may cause why that causes teams problems? Because it certainly has, has been a crutch for Iowa. Well, I think the key is that Wisconsin can has historically been able to get home with three guys at times. And, you know, a lot of the times that's like an outside linebacker, like Nick Herbig, who's been a real uh, stud on our defense this year. Uh, Keanu Benton's been a stud at nose guard. Um, you know, getting home with three is a really important part so that the coverage scheme works up. But also that also allows you to kind of run stunts and blitz linebackers at inopportune times for the offense. So I think it starts with being able to get home with, with three or four guys to begin with. And you'll see the linebackers, um, the middle linebackers, especially Jake Cheney, uh, Mumajong Mehta, Jordan Turner, those three guys primarily rotate. Um, you'll see those guys blitzing inside later as the game moves later and later through. Um, you'll see those guys making, you know, Spencer, hopefully making Spencer Petrus uncomfortable, but I can't say I know very much because I haven't seen, I didn't watch the last two games, but my understanding is that Iowa has improved drastically, especially in the run game. So if they, if they, if they run the ball well, I would expect that, that Iowa would be able to be pretty dynamic in the, in the past game. But If they run the ball well against Wisconsin, Nick, I'll, I'll be very surprised. Not, nothing, no disrespect to Purdue. <laughs> it was a bump up, but that run defense for Wisconsin, Iowa hasn't been able to run against Wisconsin. They ran against Wisconsin in 2020. It was a weird year, as you mentioned, Wisconsin's issues, but Iowa has not ran the ball well against Wisconsin for – a decade? I don't know. I'd have to look back at the numbers. I don't even think in 2015 they ran the ball very well. That was the the uh, the fumble at the goal line that opened the door for Iowa to win that game and maintain its its undefeated record. So, Mark, anything else? Um, yeah, maybe I'll I'll stay on here with Nick if you need to go, Corey. Okay. Thanks for being here. Appreciate the time, Nick. Thank you for so much for joining yeah. us. Yeah, not a problem. Thanks, Corey. Corey's going to be back here uh, tomorrow night, uh, both here and from the Hawkeye of the Storm at 9 Eastern, 8 Central time. So catch him post-game part two with the Coach Don Patterson. So please join him then. Nick, so I don't know if you necessarily covered this when you went through the Christ dismissal and everything that led up to that. My thought at the time of the firing was, yeah, this seems a bit drastic, especially since Wisconsin, kind of in the mold of Iowa, seems like a conservative program, one that's going to stay with side on stability more than making a knee-jerk reaction. That at the same time, I, I I was looking at the you know, the elevation of Jim Leonard that they number one didn't want to let him get away. Number two wanted to see how he would lead the team over the course of the season and thought, okay, now is the perfect time to give it to him. And we fully believe we're going to go forward with him. But if things don't go well, then we still have the option to look elsewhere. Does that pretty much seem like where we are? Yeah. I, I mean, that's how I would sum it up. Right. It's, it, it feels like this has been a tryout period for Jim Leonard, who, you know, he's kind of a hot commodity as far as defensive coordinators and maybe had coaching jobs moving into the off season if Wisconsin wasn't going to be the, the place he was at. And I think that there definitely was part of this was definitely Chris McIntosh and some of the upper uh, 
probably uh, donors looking at the program and saying, okay, we got a guy that we know can be, if he, if he can, if he can lead a program and show us that he can lead a program, we, we think he's going to be good for a really long time because he's such a smart defensive mind. Um, and I, I think that they just couldn't, they could not sit there and let another program rip him away. And then especially the trends, like I talked about earlier, the trends, the eight and four seasons where Wisconsin fans would, would have loved to be, see a little bit more of the 2017 team, um, you know, going, going 10 and two or, or nine and three is even better than going uh, eight and four uh, before a bowl game. Uh, and I think that, I think that the Macintosh probably looked at that and said, okay, I have an option right now. I have an excuse. He's lost three games. They've only beaten New Mexico state and uh, Illinois state. I have an excuse to fire him and see if Jim Leonard's the guy, otherwise we'll go in a different direction. And again, I think this has a lot to do with what's coming in the future for college football. I think it has, a, I think that's what you have to look at it because Chris has, he's for as good as a coach as Chris was, he was, he was a great coach. It, he stabilized the program after Gary Anderson left um, a program that had historically recruited linemen very well, was not recruiting linemen very well when Gary Anderson was there. Um, Chris brought those linemen back in the state. He had really good coaches around him and, and, you can see that because he hired Jim Leonard, who's had a consistently had a top 10 defense. Um, but they just had to make a move. He, Chris served his purpose was what I think happened. And it was either move on into the new era of college football or kind of see the same eight and four, seven and five seasons, which I don't think Badger fans uh, really appreciate anymore. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, again, while it did seem a bit startling because, the coaching fires firings that we had seen leading up to that were guys that clearly were not meeting expectations. And then you see Paul Christ, who's gone to three big Ten championship games is winning like 72% of his games. And you think that's Wisconsin. Doesn't that, isn't he pretty much meeting their expectations and, and in line with what we've seen up until now, but you know, you make a good point about uh, where we're headed in terms of college football division realignment possibilities there usc is a monster ucla has the potential to be a monster and suddenly you go from vying for third or fourth best program in the conference to with the likes of minnesota catching up purdue possibly catching up to slipping to seventh eighth and just kind of being lost in the abyss of mediocrity in the conference yeah, that, that would have been a problem. I mean, see, that's why I think it's okay that they moved on from Chris. Now, I'm not saying that the midseason firing was warranted, but they clearly wanted to look at Leonard, right? And they didn't want to do it without any sort of resume to back it up. So, yeah, I, I really think that as you – and you've seen Minnesota, Illinois, uh, and, and Northwestern teams, teams that Wisconsin thinks they should beat. I wouldn't put Iowa in that category because there's been a good back and forth for years between these two programs. But I think that you see those other teams making, you know, serious uh, ground up on Wisconsin and Minnesota, especially that's a troubling one because Minnesota and Wisconsin, there was a streak of like what, 20 plus years, or maybe it was crazy how many straight times Wisconsin had beat Minnesota. And you're going to tell me that PJ Fleck, who I know Iowa fans will share my disdain for, um, you're going to tell me that that guy is the one who, who knocked Wisconsin down into the mid part of the conference. So I think that McIntosh looked at it and said, we got to make a change because otherwise I don't know if we were going to be able to catch up again. Hawkeye fans, get yourself prepared for 
Saturday's big game. Um, catch Nick's work at Buckeyes, Bucky's Fifth Quarter.com. Bucky's Fifth Quarter.com. That's on the SP Nation uh, platform for Iowa or for Wisconsin Athletics. And Nick, we appreciate you stopping by. Uh, I would desperately want to wait one more week until we try to weed through all the Big Ten Western Division scenarios because they're just too many to to try to sort through at this point. But maybe one more week to see who wins, who loses these two big games in the Western Division to then figure out, okay, then we can possibly carve a path out the last two weeks and figure out who needs to beat whom to to sort this mess out. But uh, it is quite interesting, if not elite uh, by any stretch, it's, it's quite the division. Yeah. You know, I, I think that, uh, Illinois winning the division would be like the greatest upset. I mean, if you had odds on Illinois winning the, the West division this year at the beginning of the year, I have to imagine you have a pretty nice payday coming your way. I am, I, for one, don't believe that Purdue is going to beat Illinois just because of what you talked about earlier. Um, Purdue hasn't necessarily played uh, very well and, Illinois has got a nasty, nasty defensive line. And I think that they're good enough to, to win the West. And that's, that's another point. Illinois looks like Wisconsin did, you know, three or four years ago, where their offense is going to do enough to win games and their defense is going to, you know, make sure the opponent doesn't get anywhere near the, you know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's complimentary football and something Wisconsin hasn't played in recent years. So I think it's going to be Illinois. I think that, uh, this weekend between Iowa and Wisconsin should be really, really interesting. And I don't know that we've talked a whole lot about the game, but I'm expecting a lot of punts and the winner of the turnover battle to likely win, which is normally an indicator of who wins this game. Um, but I think that Wisconsin has a really good shot to make it to a good bowl game. And I think at this, this point, a lot of Wisconsin fans would celebrate that as a win, given where we were just three, four weeks ago. Well, if you believe in Vegas and they typically know what they're doing, they're basically calling there with an over under of 36. And we see this weekly here with Iowa, always in the mid thirties on over unders that Wisconsin wins this game. What 1917, I guess is <laughs> Vegas's call on this one. So I pretty much sounds like it's uh in line with what these two teams produce on a weekly basis. So Again, Nick, we appreciate you stopping by. And uh, again, everybody check out Nick's work on SB Nation's Bucky's fifth quarter uh, on the Wisconsin platform there at uh, SB Nation. Thanks a lot, Nick. Appreciate you. Hey, hey Mark. Thank you. Thank you. All right, folks. Once again, want to remind everyone that uh, you can win tickets to the Iowa-Nebraska game Go to Gene Arthur Associates on Facebook. We have posted the link. It's both in the uh, description section of all the videos, and it's also here online. I'll drop it in there one more time. Go there, like, share, and follow at Gene Arthur Associates on Facebook, and you're automatically entered into an Iowa-Nebraska ticket giveaway. Two free tickets to Iowa-Nebraska, the final game of the season. And again, that's at Gene Arthur Associates our sponsor for our Hawkeyes live show. Corey's going to be here on Wednesday night at uh, 8 central time to do another postgame show, this time with Coach Don Patterson and preview the Wisconsin game. And you will see me here in about a half hour. I'll be live on most of the Voice of College football channels, on all the channels that uh, have teams that are 
impactful in the rankings. So we're going to have a big watch party at 7 o'clock Eastern time for two hours, 7 to 9 Eastern. Watch party at the Voice of College Football for the college football playoff rankings. So join me then and give me a call. We will see you in a half hour over on the main channel. And then we'll see you again next Tuesday, 4.30 Central.